All right, guys. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to forge on on this rainy day. Rainy, rainy Sunday, but we're going to... What's that? Liquid sunshine. Liquid sunshine. Okay, that is the most positive spin I've heard of the weather here. <laughs> Where do we get our evergreenness? I know. It's the, it's the price we pay, right? No, it's... It did feel like it just kind of dropped off all of a sudden and got really, really cold really, really fast. But maybe that's my Californian sensibilities. I don't know. But it is. It's like here we are. So. As the wind grew between your toes, you'll acclimate. You're from Alaska. This is like. I know. This is like summer. I know. No, I do. I do. Uh, I, I do feel like I'm getting acclimated slowly but surely. So, well, we are on week 11. Can you believe that? We are on the home stretch. We have this morning and next Sunday, and then we'll be done with the class. Um, and we'll head into Christmas season. So, good morning. Um, so, yeah, we got today and, and next time, and that'll be it. Obviously, there's more to talk about in relation to God's character, but we've just kind of scratch the surface maybe we'll revisit this in a few years or something as a class uh don't know yet we are still working on a winter option and what that looks like um so yeah don't know um so today we are going to be talking about god's holiness uh before we do that though uh let's pray and then we'll recap a little bit from last week for those who weren't with us i'm on and i'm ready to pray Tom's taught me well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for being near to us and us not being consumed through that nearness. Uh, your Son has made a way for us to be righteous in your sight and to be being sanctified even into his image. And God, that is not something that we desired or wanted uh, initially, but now that we have experienced your grace and are uh, being renewed by you, God, we we are so thankful for the power um, of the gospel and for the power of your spirit to accomplish your will in our heart and mind. So illuminate scripture, teach us, instruct us uh, in regard to your holiness today. This is a, a, um, a vast and expansive topic. So help us to, to benefit from the little bit of time that we spend thinking about it this morning. Uh, we know that you're sovereign and so we trust that this use of time will be good for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week, and, uh, well, two weeks ago, I guess, right? We had we were off for Thanksgiving. Um, but we talked about God's goodness and love kind of together. Goodness as an umbrella of a lot of different attributes, like mercy and kindness and love being one of those things. And we talked about God's love and, uh, and some of the complexity that goes along with God's love. For those of you who are here, does anyone remember... Um, some of the complexity around the issue of trying to talk about God's love. Does anyone recall that? It's been a couple weeks. You've had turkey. Just throwing that out there in case. Anyone remember anything about that? Yeah, David. I, I don't know if I remember something I thought, but we, we confuse love with God's kindness, benefits. Okay. But God's love is balanced with His need for justice. 
Okay. And it is loving the ways he reminds us how much we need. Yeah. Okay, so God's love is not not what our culture says is different than that, and that it's also in concert with things like justice and, uh, yeah, like those other parts of his attributes. Um, we talked about how just saying that God is loving, there's a lot to that. Just in the same way that we say, uh, so Marilyn is a loving person. You think, well, in relation to what? Into relation to her nation, in relation to her family, in relation to her neighbors, in relation to uh, people she doesn't know but is praying for. Because we have such differing types of relationships, love looks different depending on the relationship. And so we said God's love is that same kind of complex thing in that he is loving to a world that doesn't necessarily know him or want him in a way that is different the way that he's loving uh, towards his own people where he's actually sacrificed his son, right, for his people. So God's love is nuanced. We um, Statements like God's love is unconditional uh, is true in one sense depending on what relationship you're talking about, right? Um, so we just we, we dug into that a little bit, saying that God's, the, God's love is complex because of the differing relationships that he has with creation. Yeah, Marilyn? Well, it's slowly coming back to me. Yeah, there we go, knocking the, the rust off. Remember that we talked about it, the, the circularity, that you, if you say God defines love, and yeah. then you say God is love, you know, it's, um, you have to sort of stand outside of you. You don't get to define what God is love, that God is love. He kind of defines that by who he is. Yeah, yeah, we do have... You say that very well, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true of like a lot of different attributes, right? God is righteous. How do you know? Well, God, everything God does is right. Well, according to who? According to God. Well, how do you know? I mean, and so you have this circularity with his attributes. But we said we're not in a we're not in a vantage point to to make judgments about that because <laughs> God is the one who's ultimately the judge of that. And we also said that everyone has that problem. Everyone uses a kind of worldview and has at, at base kind of a metaphysic that says, I have to use some way of determining what's true and valuable and good. Everyone has that circularity at some point they've got to deal with, and not just a Christian. Um, so we, we talked about a narrow circularity and a broad circularity, meaning we have, we have a lot of good reasons to commit ourselves to the kind of circular reasoning that we're in. We have history, we have examples, we have... Um, those kinds of things. So it's not just a, uh, uh, an equation on paper that we're talking about. We're talking about a God who actually makes, made his character known and available through things we can see. So, um, anyway, so God's goodness and love. We're going to move on to his holiness this morning. Um, God's holiness is the, the most common way that he's referred to in the scripture. So there's someone, you have different numbers, different people, but um, someone cited, you know, over 700 times in the scriptures, God is referred to as being holy, which is an incredible amount. So this is a, this is a, a very core attribute of, of who God is. Um, if you've read the book of Isaiah before, you come across God's holiness all the time. 
Okay, so for example, Isaiah 43, uh, 14 through 15. Um, I'll just read it for us. And this is, again, this is typical. He's called the Holy One of Israel, I think, over 20 times in the book. But it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, or Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So he has this title all the time. You have a few of the references there. We don't need to go through all of them. But one of the things that I caught this time going through the Gospel of Luke is, do you remember what what the demons say about Jesus when we've come across them in the last few chapters in Luke? Uh, when Before Jesus shuts them down? You know what? how they refer to Jesus? Anyone remember? It's, there, there is Son of God, so you have the temptation in the wilderness. But Holy One, you're the Holy One of God, is actually the title that two different demons, in, just in the Gospel of Luke, refer. And so there's this connection that happens, even in Acts chapter 3. I'll read really quickly. I thought this was interesting, because we, we think of this just as an attribute, and as, but not as necessarily a signifier of deity, but I think it really is more than just an attribute. It's um, also a title that, that is applied to Jesus. So in Acts uh, 3, um, they're explaining what's going on. Uh, the apostles are. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One. That's the description of Jesus. So, we're constantly seeing this title. So, the question is, what does it mean for God to be holy? What are we talking about? It's all the time in Scripture. Um, so, there's kind of a two-prong definition I want to give us. And the first one um, is maybe not what you think. What are some ideas, just for starting off, of a definition for holiness? What comes to your mind when you think about holiness in Scripture, what is it referring to? Perfection. Set apart, perfection. Worthy of veneration. Worthy of veneration. Yeah, Zach? That makes me think of distance from us or sin. Or, or okay, distance from us. Yeah, Tom. Okay, there's a scripture that says that uh, he knows to do good and doesn't do it in sin. So not only does he not do any bad, but he did all the good. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, he must have done all the good that he knew how to do. Okay. Um, or knew to do. Okay, so maybe there is a, a positive sense of the definition uh, of God doing good relating to his holiness? Not just separate from sin. Okay. <coughs> but doing good to the max. Okay, yeah, good. So, um, the first, I would say the more core definition, and the second part of it flows out of it, is this idea that you mentioned, that it's separation, it's distance, it's being other than, um, uh, unique, uh, distinguish. Uh, this is kind of how holy is, is used. So um, if you listen to, to R.C. Sproul on this, he gives some great examples, um, just you know, everyday examples, like your birthday, right? Is a, is a normal day, there's nothing special about that, but it's set apart, it's unique in relation to you because of its you know, significance. Or even just the term holiday comes from the phrase holy day, a day set apart for something 
unique to be recognized in. It's not that the thing itself is unique. It's, it's set apart for a certain reason or, or specific purpose. You think of the Sabbath, right, being made holy. It's a set apart day. It's, it's um, sanctified is a term that's off related to holiness. Um, what are some other examples that you think of that things that are made holy in Scripture uh, that are set apart or uh, have a special significance? Just anything, yeah. His people will be holy because I am holy. Okay, his people, yeah, good, yeah. The utensils in the tabernacle and the temple. Yeah, even utensils, right, can be holy because why? They have a set apart, special, sanctified use. There's a, there's a uniqueness to what it's for, yeah, as opposed to other common uh, things. Um, you think of the holy place or the holy of holies, right? We'll come across that in our study. So that generically, that's, a, that's what the word refers to. Um, now, in relation to God's character, for to say that God is holy or set apart or different is to say that God is transcendent. He's unique. He's other. Okay? He's different. There's a a quote. I think I gave you this quote um, from Tozer. He says, We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we're capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The, na- the nature of man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Now, we know that in, when we talk about God's incomprehensibility, that means we can't fully exhaust and understand everything there is to know about God, but we can still know God truly, right? even though we can't know him fully. So that's what I think Tozer is referring to. But this idea of God's holiness is being other and being different and being set apart is really important. And it makes a lot of sense when you look at some scripture that refer to God's holiness. Like uh, Exodus 15.11, which just says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. So, this author and the next author in First Chronicles 16. I'll just read that, and then we'll talk about it. First uh, Chronicles 16:28 through 30 uh, says, "Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness." Tremble before him all the earth. So both of these texts are talking about, they're referring to God as being unique and different and other than, right? And that's a a real contrast to a lot of the people who are in these biblical contexts who are worshiping gods that are just slight improvements or you wouldn't even say that about some of the gods that the, the other nations worshiped, right? But from the beginning... The scriptures say God is other than, he's different, he's unique. And these passages talk about that uniqueness being a glorious thing. Right? In the, that his difference or his otherness is majestic. 
his difference or his otherness has a splendor to it or a glory to it or it's a, it's a wonderful difference. It's an unimaginable and an indescribable difference. So when people interact with God's holiness, you kind of leave with a sense that he's not like us, right? There's kind of an awe and a worship and a reverence when people encounter the holiness of God because of how utterly different and distinct it is from anything on the earth, okay? So I, th- that's, I think at the heart of holiness. Now, uh, when we think of holiness, we, of course, think of Isaiah 6, right? So let's turn there, um, and then we can talk a little bit that after this, if you've got any thoughts about this. Isaiah 6. Would someone read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4? For us. Here the king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Okay, so how do we see the holiness of God in this scene? Terrifying. Terrifying, okay. Where do you get that from, or what, what, where do you see that? Seraphim with six wings, and, uh, you know, it's just this, this massive, you know, the, the, the true word of awesome, you know, awe-inspiring, like, like you. The cool thing I think of is, remember when, when they... I experienced the, the eclipse a few years ago. Mm. I think it was probably the first time in my life where I felt that, 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 that absolute, like I almost fell down on the ground in awe at what, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that's what I would imagine. Is like it's just, it, it just overloads you. Yeah. Yeah. Think about these beings who are in and of themselves, the kinds of beings that human beings fall down ter- and terrified of in the scriptures are are unable to even look on the holiness and the difference of God and themselves are crying out. This is kind of um, one of the unique places where this threefold description of God, holy, 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 which just kind of amplifies as it's said, is said by these awesome creatures that would terrify us. What else do we see in this text that helps us understand God's holiness? The voice was so big it shook the posts of the door. Yeah. That's loud. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like uh, his glory is it uh, goes along with his holiness. Mm. Um, um, you know, and, and when Jesus <coughs> of transfiguration and, and he, he um, um, let his glory be shown. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The whole earth is full of it. Right. Is what their confession. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about holy as otherness or as being different, it it kind of flavors how you hear these creatures' voice when they're saying, utterly unique, unlike anything else. This is one of a kind. I've never seen this before. Uh, This is a kind of purity that that I'm totally unfamiliar with. And these are beings that have been 
in God's presence, right, for a very, very, very long time, right, and are continually feeling the need to continually confess this. I mean, think about what what, what must that be like for these kinds of creatures to be doing this on and on and over and over and over again and for for the, the this confession to be so powerful, yeah, that it shakes the... I mean, this is an incredible scene. Yeah, David. It strikes me that <coughs> Isaiah has never seen him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, I saw a vision like a king on a throne. Mm. You know, something so majestic, so glorious, so obviously different, mm-hmm. so unimaginably different, that he knew it had to be the Lord. Mm. Yeah. And you see in his response, right, which you often see when you, people encounter holiness, they're immediately thinking of their own sinfulness and their own, because it's just, yeah, the difference is really, really obvious in that in that kind of a setting. So this this is, uh, there's a bit of mystery around this specific definition of holiness because it is kind of by definition something you can't quite relate anything to on earth exactly, okay? So we have an otherness. We have a very uh, unique glory that that God has, which is why it's so important to him. If you, th- if you think about um, the Ten Commandments, right? There's, there's this commitment to God alone, this avoidance of idols, and you think it's, it's interesting that the to not take his name in vain. You think that's a that's an interesting commandment in light of maybe not one that we would have chosen in terms of like it's important. Sproul talks about this. Like if you came up with a constitution for a nation and you had to pick ten rules to govern a people, what would you pick? And he's like, not a lot of people would think that the desecration of God's name is of such significance that we should make sure that it's one of the ten. But yet, this is the significance of God's holiness and his, his glory is, is so incredible and so powerful that anything that would desecrate it um, is of ultimate importance, I think we can say. Um, think of the Lord's Prayer. How does God's holiness show up in the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. So after you address him, the the first thing you're you're interested in and praying for is that people would regard him with the kind of respect and reverence that he's owed. Right? I mean, that's his name is is to be uh, defended and glorified, and that's the first thing that's coming. So you see, if you if you think about other passages in Scripture, just the value and the importance of God's holy name in regarding um, regarding it highly. Um, we are we're also as a as a people, I think, drawn to this idea of of uh, the mystery of kind of the difference between us and God, or between us and what's holy or set apart. You know, you mentioned. Uh, the what you witnessed right in the eclipse, and there was something about that that just kind of affected you in a different way. How do you see um, a hunger in society for something like pure holiness or a, uh, 
uh, I don't want to say God, because it doesn't have to always take the form of God, but this, this hunger for this kind of divine uh, thing. Do you, see, do you see any hunger for that uh, in our society? And if so, how? People who don't believe in God, you know, worship a tree or a rock or something else. They need to worship something. Okay. So there's some acknowledgement even in creation that creation can create awe that is sufficient for people to pursue. Yeah, David? Terms like free nature, that majestic view, that majestic Okay. Um, sports, the perfect game, mm-hmm. the perfect play. Okay. We're always seeking God-like attributes in the things we see in perfection and set aside different things. Yeah. Yeah, good. Marilyn? I think there's something in us that if we don't have God and His holiness, if you think about world religions, they have very specific ways that they um, outwardly address the at a higher level as to the way women dress, mm. to remove lust, um, how many times they pray, how they pray, putting up um, icons and things. Mm-hmm. And that's all about achieving something higher than we are mm-hmm. with no laws, no, you know, just like God's laws that tell us about His own. Mm. Yeah. If you don't have that, you make some up. Mm-hmm. I think that's something in us. Yeah. Yeah. After 9-11, the religions that grew the most were the ones where you had to participate in getting to God. Mm. Um, lots of rules type religions. Mm. The ones that people were flocking to. They wanted something. Yeah. And they wanted to participate in Yeah. They want to be near to it, right? There's a There's kind of a draw to the transcendent, this idea that there's a divine out there. We're compelled by it, but we're also f- fearful of it, right? It's kind of this interesting combination. Uh, we want it, but we don't necessarily want it. <laughs> yeah, Katrina. I think there's an, a new thing in that it's almost like uh, I want I want self to be so unique and different that I don't need the stuff that you all have been looking for. Mm. I'm so great. I'm so unique, I'm so different, I have new pronouns, or I have, you know, a new look of life, or I know things that nobody's known before, that there's a, there's a new thing that's okay. new and improved and <laughs> better. And okay, so maybe a, a, a finding that divine making self something in divine, yeah, the making the self into, into divine. Worship and something that's so unique and so much better than everybody else and... Yeah. Our country, our our neighborhood, our whatever it is, our family. Yeah. Live your truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think too. I think of just sillier examples like uh, the show Stranger Things. You guys heard of this show on Netflix? It's or, or things that kind of refer either to like a, a a super being out there that somehow you know whether it's alien or whether it's something else. There's just kind of something ominous about it like the show Lost when that was like really, really popular. When I was a kid, it was like the X-Files. It's like there's always these alien interactions. There's these, there's these intellects out there that are somehow figured out way more than we have. And there's just kind of this hunger for, I think, the other that, that we see. Um, and and I, I think, obviously, it all 
traces back to this. Um, so there's that first sense of definition is the other, is kind of the different, is the unique, the separate, set apart. But then there is a moral quality, as the Bible talks about holiness, that is righteousness and purity, right? And that they fold together in that God is holy, he's other, and part of the reason he's other is because he is morally pure and righteous in every way, right? There's a kind of a, um, a flawlessness about his, his character. And we're then also called to be holy, as it was mentioned, right? So some of the definitions that relate to that second part, being separated from sin or devoted to seeking his own honor. Charnock says, God possesses a perfect and unpolluted freedom from all evil. So we find this in different passages like Habakkuk and 1 John and James 1. Uh, 1 John, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right? There's a, a purity, a holiness to him. The whole issue of that Habakkuk is facing is he's seeing all this evil and he doesn't understand how it jives with the character of God. So in the midst of his complaint, he says... Uh, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? So he's saying, God, I know you're this way. You're this, this holy, pure being. So how can you stomach you know, what's going on around me? So there is this moral sense of his, his holiness. And I think a really helpful image that John points to, actually, is the image of light. Because light in its nature drives away darkness, right? There's an automatic separation with the character of light from darkness. If the light is present, that means darkness is not. And so as we think about God's holiness, I think that's a helpful image um, because there's kind of this two-prong thing that even uh, Tom pointed to earlier. It's not only separation from sin, it's not just not being something, it's also being righteous and perfectly pure. But those two things kind of go together, Right? You're saved from this to something as a believer uh, as well. So uh, that image of light, um, as we think about maybe just some, again, with over 700 references to God's holiness, where, where do we go to try to, to, to show the development of it? I think just certain books that I, I put down there, um, thought we could just kind of see the progression of it and look at a few of those passages and then we'll, we'll end our time. Um, how do we see God's holiness in the book of Genesis? If you think of set apart or different. They cast Adam and Eve out because of their sin. Okay. Yeah, so there's a, uh, the garden has been corrupted, you could say. Yeah. You think of even the formation of a people in Genesis, right, with Abraham. He's setting apart Abraham and eventually what would become a nation saying, these are my wholly different, unique people, right? So that starts in Genesis, and we see that developing. And there's clearly a plan in place. In Genesis 15, he's talking about, you're going to be in slavery for 400 years, and like he, he's got a plan for this holy people. How about Exodus? There's a lot of God's holiness in the book of Exodus. We go back to Genesis. Uh, okay. Noah, uh, you know, saving a few. Um, and, and, uh, okay. Yep, so we see, yeah, the, the judgment, right? God's holiness obviously being separate from sin 
mean, you could see the judgment of the flood as a direct result of his character. And also when he said that my spirit will not strive with men forever, like he separates himself. Okay. Yeah, like I, I am going to tolerate this to a point. And even his saving of Noah, we know, is by grace, right? That's, we know Noah well enough to know <laughs> um, that was by grace. Okay, how about the book of Exodus? We don't get very far in the book of Exodus until we run into God's holiness. Remember Exodus 3? Burning bush. What, what is said to Moses? Take off your shoes. Why? You're standing on holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God is there, right? That, that's, so again, we have this. It's set apart because of God's nearness or presence or touch. Okay? Why, um, why did, it, when Moses is talking to Pharaoh, why did they need or want to leave Egypt? What was the, the reason? To go out and worship, right? And really, the book of Exodus, a lot of it is, who's, who's the dad of Israel? Who owns Israel? Who, who, whose people are they? Are they Pharaoh's people or are they God's people? And that's, that's the motivation, right? We need, we're going to go out and worship. We're owned by God. We're holy. We're set apart for, for his purpose. And Pharaoh gets in the way of that. And so God steps in and dramatically says, they're my people, actually. Then he leads them out. And you remember uh, Sinai? Turn to Exodus 19. We have a, a, another picture of God's holiness. Um, and again, this is a really dramatic description. And it comes, it's so dramatic, it comes up later a lot in the New Testament. In Exodus 19, um, this is the Lord uh, speaking uh, to Moses saying, this is what you're going to say to Israel. In verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is God saying, I delivered you in order to make you a holy, set-apart people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests to me. This is, this is the plan. Okay? And that is, that's language that's picked up later on in 1 Peter 2. If you remember, Peter says uh, that they're a chosen race and a holy people. Right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is in verse 9. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9-10. through 10. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So we have this, in the same definition of holiness, where we're talking about God is separate from sin, and he's also morally pure and righteous in a way that's, that's unique. This is exactly how God's people are, are referred to. They're being brought out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of darkness, but they're not just being brought out of Egypt, they're being not being saved from something, they're being saved to something, and so they're given a law now, they're going to be, in a positive sense, a holy people. They're going to reflect this character of God, they're going to be separate from sin, and they're going to be righteous and holy as he is righteous. So there's both of those senses in the definition, 
the absence of sin and the presence of holiness. Um, how about Leviticus? We all love Leviticus. Uh, yeah. 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 You think about at Mount Sinai, don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you're dead because God's God's holy. You're going to dress in garments. You're going to wash. You're not going to have sex for a few days before I show up. I mean, there is there is a real sense of God's set apartness. And then there's this giving of the law, right, that reflects his holiness and reflects. We see that in Leviticus. Um, just one example, and we won't get bogged down, but chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. Um, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So this is a transferable characteristic. This is something God is expecting from his people. Um, this idea of consecration is um, an important one. We see that again in 1 Peter and 2 Corinthians 6 there. on your. You can look that up later, but it's the same, the same idea. Peter literally says, for it said, right? You shall be holy, for I am holy. He quotes that as a reason for them to um, to obey as elect exiles. Um, one one uh, one that's out of John 17. I wanted to go there uh, just briefly. Um, John 17. This is a interesting in the setting of holiness. I think Jesus. Would someone read John 17:15 through 19? John 17, 15 through 19. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may themselves be sanctified in truth. Okay, how does, how does holiness show up in this, these few verses? The word's not in there. But sanctify, okay. And what are we told? Your word is truth. Okay. So the exposure to his word. Yeah. Would sanctify them or make them holy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they're not of the world, right? They're set apart. What else? Sanctification comes from God through Christ. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you look at 19 again, Jesus saying, and for their sake, I consecrate or am sanctified myself. What is he talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and that purpose was to become the sacrifice. So we, we read that and think, oh, well, Jesus is talking about being made holy or something. And But no, it's, it's him being set apart for this purpose of sacrifice that they may also be sanctified, that they may be made holy. So Jesus is 
set apart for this purpose, and then we follow in that train through his work, now it's possible for us to be consecrated, which is why we're sent as he was sent. Okay. So, yeah, this idea of holiness bleeds over just from the word holy into other things. Um, one, Maybe one last pit stop. Well, second to last pit stop. Ephesians. I'll just do one of them. Ephesians 4. When we talk about being made uh, like Christ, this... I really love this part of Ephesians 4. Uh, it's talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And I want you to pay attention to what God's likeness is described as. Uh, this is uh, Paul talking. He says, uh, As the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So the implication of this is, if you think, okay, we're being made like Jesus. Yes, that's true. In what way? How are we being changed into God's likeness? According to this, it's saying, it describes God's likeness as true righteousness and holiness. And that's actually what God is doing through sanctification, right? You think of the word sanctify, sanctification, we're being made into his holiness. Um, A guy named Mark Jones quoted Herman Bavinck and said, Justification answers to God's righteousness. Sanctification answers to his holiness. Hence, the two are equally necessary and are proclaimed in Scripture with equal emphasis. Justification and sanctification grant the same benefits, namely the entire Christ. I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about sanctification. If justification is linked to having God's righteousness imputed to us, sanctification is having the holiness of God reflected in our life through the process of sanctification. Um, in Ephesians 5 you remember that in the charge of husbands to love their wives that they're to imitate Christ um, it says that he might sanctify her Christ and the bride of Christ having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish so this is Again, that's an image that we find, and we, to, to God's praise, we find that in the book of Revelation. Okay, This is an actual description of, um, the, of the bride uh, coming. In Revelation 21, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Meaning, Christ did. He prepared the bride and she will be beautiful. She will be presented in all of her splendor and holiness as Ephesians 5 says. Um, Some of the pictures at the end of uh, the story of God's holiness being brought to full completion in his bride are just beautiful descriptions. One, kind of a curious one that you may not read a lot, is Zechariah 14. And listen to this and tell me why this is significant. This is verses 10 through 12. 
And on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. You could blow through that in your devotional time and not see the significance of that. Why is that significant? That every pot in Jerusalem will be called holy. You think? I think it has to do with um, you're really becoming 100% devoted to the Lord. You're not distracted by um, other things. Okay. Okay, so there's a, devo- there's a devotion amongst his people that's, that's there. Now, where are holy things found in an Old Testament mindset, typically? In the tabernacle, right? Or in the temple. That's where holy stuff is. That's where holy pots are and holy utensils. and Right, because that's where God's presence is. So the significance of Zechariah saying every pot and every cupboard all throughout Jerusalem will be considered holy to the Lord is, a, is an expansion of God's presence and reign to every square corner, right, of this new Jerusalem, of this new rule. Everything, everyone will be set apart, will be holy in this, this way that people only think in terms of the temple. This is what the, the new Jerusalem or what, what the glory of revelation is is that everyone will know the Lord, right? There will be streams of people coming from the Gentile nations. Um, and again, in Revelation, we find the same scene that we saw in Isaiah, right? Of the three, uh, or of the four living creatures saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Or 15.4, as the, as the nations confess things about this God, who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. So this is kind of the, the, the chorus of the scriptures is that God is the set-apart, other uniquely glorious being that we will get to uh, enjoy and marvel at. Um, so this sense of holy is different, other, uniquely glorious, transcendent, unlike us, not repeatable, not like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's like a really good person multiplied by a thousand. Different idea. And it also has to do with this moral purity or this, this separation from sin. Now let's think about, in the last few minutes here, the implications of God being holy. What are some of the implications for us, just to know that God is this way? What do you think? Yeah, David. One of the references and definitions that has come up and written here and people spoke about it is unapproachable. Okay. But for Christ... We can approach God. Okay. That's unimaginable. Yeah. So the fact that God is this way, and we can, it says, enter his throne room, yeah. right? He's like, that's, a, that's quite a thing, right? That's the gospel. That's part of the glory of the gospel. Jesus' message turned everything upside down. Last week first, the first week last, and then so on. But here at the end, God turns things upside down. Mm-hmm. Come to me, my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and he's completes the project in the end, right? And makes us and a, a whole <laughs> indeed. Other implications. Yeah, why does this matter, Katrina? 
Because in a human way, it helps us understand why he's worthy of worship. Okay. His holiness, the more you study it, the, the bigger he becomes, the smaller you become, I become. And the more worthy of my worship, uh, you know, all that I have and unclean people and all of it. Yeah. It just becomes more clear, more uh, able to understand. It. It's easier to understand them in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, Marilyn and then Tom. sense out of the, the line of the Lord's Prayer, right, where, for things on earth to reflect the kind of obedience and, and conformity that they are in heaven. Like, that's, that's what, partly why we pray that. Like, God, make that true in, in, in me, right? Because his kingdom is here, but it is definitely in a, a non-clean room sense. <laughs> yeah. Zach, did you have something? Yeah. You want to share? Uh, I've been thinking lately about how you show reverence. Um, and imagining, and, and sort of imagining what what things do I do that reminds me that God is here? Mm. Like uh, one example is just getting on my knees to pray, mm. as opposed to just sitting where I normally am. It it reminds me that this is what I'd be doing. She's right here. Yeah. She is. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can, can you think of times when in your life when you are more aware of God's holiness and his presence and there's like an immediate reaction that we have that makes sin look disgusting and undesirable almost? 
You know, when you have a, a real sense of the, the presence of a holy God, you, yeah, it makes perfect sense to get down on your knees or to, to bow before him, right? And so that's great. Just things that can remind us because a lot of times we're just not aware of his presence in that way, right? I mean, it's just, it feels like most of life is profane. <laughs> we're, we're thinking about the shopping list and thinking about other things, which is part of, of life, but it, it, it's helpful. Yeah, Donna. I'm going to mention something that's a bit confusing about the holiness of God versus us being holy as he is holy. Yeah. Because the Mormons have a lot of problems with this. I studied Mormonism because my daughter mm. was dating a Mormon. I wanted her to find the flaws in it. Yeah. And they and they said, well, we can be gods because it says be ye perfect, be ye holy as I am yeah. holy. So they take it and twist it. Yeah. But you have made it clear that this is a reflection it doesn't mean we can be worshipped like the Mormons think. Right. It, we are reflection of yeah. God's holiness, not that we are going to be worshipped. Right. So people can twist it because there are several places sure. that you mentioned that it says, you know, be holy as your, you know, and uh, yeah. In yeah. Peter and in Matthew 5, 48, I was looking at yeah. Yeah. We're told to be holy, but yeah. it doesn't mean we're going to be worshipped. Right. And the scripture, you'll find, has no category for holiness outside of the domain of God's holiness. Like they're, they're liter- And when people try to do things like that, the apostles and others say, no, 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 get up, don't worship me, you got it wrong. <laughs> or when the people bow down in front of you know, Paul or something, he's like, no, 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 right. That, no, 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 you got it all wrong. We've, we've seen him. <laughs> That's reserved for someone for God alone. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that I thought of just from my own life is is the discomfort we have with being different. When you think about we're following a God who is defined as being different and other, but then we f- expect to be welcomed and appreciated and well-received in every way, including from a world that doesn't know him, makes very little sense if you think about it. You know, we're raising teenagers and part of the the message constantly is different is okay. Difference part of the deal, <laughs> right? I mean, we're this is what we're doing in following Christ. There's a, a we're following a holy, set apart kind of God. Um, so to expect that difference, um, to delight in His holiness, to spend time thinking and pondering His holiness, um, the fact that we've been set apart, even. That language of being set apart by God's choice, by God's love. And in the same way of reflecting God's holiness that we're continuing to mortify the flesh, we're continuing to fight against sin, to remove darkness from our life while we are developing virtue in the fruit of the Spirit. Both of those things happening simultaneously as a reflection of God's Spirit. So some of the questions I actually give to you have um, have some, some thoughts around that and, and how does that definition fully work itself out um, in your life in terms of separation or being set apart um, in that way? Um, I thought we couldn't we couldn't have this class and not sing "Holy, Holy, Holy." Like, right? I mean, anyone with me on that? So, um, so we'll do that to close. I did want to. Uh, I'd mentioned Psalm 99. We don't have time, but. Psalm 99 is a great psalm if you just want to you think, okay, I want to praise God for his holiness. I've never really spent time in my devotion time in the morning doing that. Psalm 99 is a great place 
uh, to do that, to read it slowly, reflect, you know, what Zach is saying, practices that we can do to dwell on and, and reflect on his holiness. Psalm 99 is a great place uh, to do that and to dwell on. Um, but we should, we should sing, shouldn't we? All right, let's sing, and then maybe a few of us can just end um, praising God and thanking him for his holiness, and then we'll, we'll be done, okay? I'm not a great singer, so you're going to need to help me. I fully trust your help. Here we go. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before Thee, who wert and shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful men thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, There is none beside Thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all Thy works shall praise Thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And a few of us praise him for his holiness and we'll be done this morning. <coughs> Father God, it's so wonderful that we can um, be your people and you are a holy God. And we can align ourselves with you and you have aligned yourself with us. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, 
for your incredible, incredible holiness. Lord God Almighty, you are the creator of all that exists. You are our creator. And you've given us our book. Give us a sense for how perfect, how glorious, how holy you are, even if we don't really understand the words. Let us consume your word, Lord. Let us consume the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can have a clearer understanding, a clearer view of how separate and set aside and perfect you are. We strive to be like you, knowing we never will, until the end. We strive to be close to you, and yet life gives the way. And in your holiness, and in your design, you tolerate us, even as your spirit guides us in the way we should go. We thank you for that perfection, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we pray. Mm-hmm. Father, I pray you'd help us to appropriate these things into our life. God, we we often worship you by comparing you to things or to ourselves. And this morning, God, we're reminded of how utterly unique and different you are from us. And there is none like you, God. Help us to confess that with our lives in the way that we process criticism and praise in the way that we make decisions even this holiday season. God, we want to be your set-apart people and we know that the way that that happens is through beholding your glory from one degree to another. And so would you allow us to, to, to witness and to, to enjoy your presence uh, in a unique way this, this season, whether it be through Psalm 99 or our, our regular reading, God, I pray that we would be a people humbled by you, our holy God. Uh, thank you for giving us access to you and that God, all of our life really is standing on holy ground. Help us to, to live in that way. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.